0: Please turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis forty-eight. Those of you who know, I'm preaching through the Book of Genesis, so I did not craft this sermon uh, to weave together with the blessing of restoration that we had early in the service. But they, but God did. Let's put it that way. They weave together wonderfully. Do you ever wonder whether God's mercy has dried up in your life? Have you ever thought that God's salvation may work for others, but it no longer works for you? Have you ever thought that you have abused God's grace one too many times? Today's message is for you. Jacob is ill. He is sick enough that they are concerned whether or not he might live. Now, he will go on to live for a time more, but he's sick. Joseph, who is ruling over much of Egypt and is not always with his dad, decides that he will come to him with his two sons. And his desire is clearly that he would receive blessing from Jacob. We'll read verses 1 through 7 to start. After this, Joseph was told, Behold, your father is ill. So he took him with his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And it was told to Jacob, Your son Joseph has come to you. Then Israel summoned his strength and sat up in bed. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Lutz in the land of Canaan, and blessed me. And said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make you a company of peoples, And will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. And now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine as Reuben and Simeon are. And the children that you fathered, and the children that you fathered after them, shall be yours. They shall be called by the name of their brothers in their inheritance. As for me, when I came from Paddan to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan on the way. When there was still some distance to go to Ephrath, and I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. <clears throat> Before Jacob gives his blessing to his son, he must first make very clear that it is no ordinary blessing. It is none other than the blessing that was given to Abraham and then to Isaac and now rests with Jacob. And Jacob reminds Joseph of his encounter with God at Bethel. This is the place where God assures Jacob of the promised blessing. Jacob says that this was when God blessed me personally. The magnitude of God's blessing is difficult to articulate. On the face of it, God has promised to Jacob that he would have many children, that they would live in the promised land. That's good. If this was all there was to the blessing... That I believe it would be hardly worth making a fuss over. Jacob has been given 12 sons. This is a good start. And he is living on the best of, of the land, the wealthiest of the land that Egypt could provide. But instead, Jacob yearns for more. The blessing means far more to Jacob than a large family or a good piece of land. Now we have a hint as to the scope of this blessing in the terminology that Jacob uses. Jacob says, God Almighty came to me and said, I will make you fruitful and will multiply you. Where does that language come from? It comes all the way back to the sixth day of creation. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The blessing given to Jacob is a promise to give to Jacob and his offspring what was originally designed for Adam and Eve, even before they fell into sin. Jacob also reminds Joseph that the land that they will inhabit will be an everlasting possession. You see, this blessing envisions a time where death will no longer interfere. It will no longer cut you off from your enjoyment of the land. And I would tell you that no people, no nation, no family has ever owned any land as an everlasting possession. Clark alluded to this. The Lord's land right If you understand this if you understand what's going on here you understand that this is we're talking about a blessing of ultimate proportions then you begin to understand the magnitude of what Jacob is giving to Joseph In Genesis 28 this is the place Genesis 28 13 to 15 you can turn there if you want This is the place where God articulates to Jacob these promises. In verse 13 of chapter 28, he says, And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. This is Jacob's ladder, right? And there's this angels descending and ascending from heaven above, and God is above in heaven. And I bring this up to you because this blessing that we're talking about is not just people, it's not just land, it is restoring to us a proper relationship with God. The God who is over all the earth is dwelling in heaven, but there is a ladder between heaven and earth. It's not by accident that Jesus will speak about this when he comes on the scene, the same ladder. You see, in the Garden of Eden, God walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. He was there with them. But now, what do we see? We are separate from God. And so this blessing is a restoration of that relationship that we have with God. Your, God goes on, your offspring will be like the dust of the earth. And you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, and in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Now I know that speaking of offspring as numerous as the dust of the earth, maybe a little bit hyperbolic language, but it is still baffling. I don't know if you've ever been to the, the sand pit down here in Morganton. But there's a sand pit next to the Catawba River as you're crossing over 18 next to the New Dimension School if you go back in there. And there was a time where I would go with my pickup truck and get sand and they had this huge, I bet piles of sand almost as big as this room. And and they'd have this huge scooper that was big enough to pick up my whole truck. And, you know, anyway, and they would just kind of get just a little bit of the corner and then they'd pour it into my truck. You know, and I think, I mean, if you wanted to, you could sit there for years counting just the number of grains of sand in one little scoop. That's a lot. God is promising more descendants than any of us can imagine. Where will these descendants live? Well, the text gives us two important clues. First, they will live on the very land in which Jacob was lying in the vision. So there's something connected with the ground in which we live now and the ground of the eternal new heavens and new earth. It is this land. But secondly, it says, You shall spread out to the north, the south, east, and the west. This is very similar to God's command to Adam and Eve to go and fill all the earth. This blessing will include all the families of the earth. And in verse 15 we see that it will take a long time for this blessing to come about. Because in verse 15 he says, Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. You'll see how this is going to be important as the sermon progresses. God promises His presence until He brings about the fulfillment of the promise. And I believe that this promise is nothing less than the new heavens and the new earth. It is a blessing that has been purchased by the Lord Jesus Christ in His life, death, and resurrection. This is the blessing that Paul speaks of in Galatians chapter 3. But the Scripture imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. That promise of blessing might be given to those who believe. Galatians 3 verse 26. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. You see, this is the blessing That Jacob is going to bestow on Joseph. A blessing of eternal redemption for all of God's people. It's not something that you just forget about. Oh, you know, you can have a good life for a few years. This is the blessing. Now, but before Jacob pronounces this blessing on Joseph, he does something that none of us would have expected. Jacob formally adopts Joseph's sons. He says, Your two sons are mine. They will be mine in the same way that Reuben and Simeon are mine. Now, Joseph, you have more kids? They're yours. And they get included in the, in the inheritance of their brothers, Ephraim and Manasseh. But these two sons are raised up. At this time, Jacob has at least 52 sons. Grandsons, excuse me. 52 grandsons. These are the only two that he raises up and adopts as his own children. Now, why does he do this? Well... He loves Joseph, wants to honor Joseph. The firstborn is given a double portion, and Joseph is being given that double portion. These, these things make sense. It's probably the reason why he brings up Rachel, because Jacob, Jacob's favored wife is Rachel, and, and her death is mentioned here because he's honoring Joseph and lifting him up to the portion of firstborn. but I think there's much more going on than the honoring of Joseph. You see, at the births of Ephraim and Manasseh, we are given some important information about them. Back in Genesis 41, before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, Priest of On, that is a false God to a false nation, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of his firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all the hardship and all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. You see, in order to honor Joseph, Pharaoh gives what he thought was a great gift. He gives the daughter of an Egyptian high priest to be his wife, and Joseph couldn't refuse this gift. But the gift itself poses this problem, right? Because we remember in the past, Esau actually left the faith, chasing after wives that were not a part of the covenant family. They are Canaanites, and so you wonder, is this something that will pull these kids, or pull Joseph away from the faith? Of course, Joseph is not abandoning the faith. He gives them Hebrew names for that very purpose. But as such, you might wonder, you might question whether these kids have a right to the full status of being God's children. Jacob clears the air. He adopts them as his own. And by the way, every person, us, are made children of God through adoption. Now this is interesting. We know from the previous chapters that God's promised inheritance is being divided in twelve. Because that's a number of completion. Each son is given their own portion of the promised blessing. Earlier that wasn't the case. Remember, when God chose Abraham, He only then chose Isaac and not Ishmael. And when God chose, uh, talk, spoke to Isaac, He chose Jacob and not Esau. So this idea of the blessing just going down one by one. But now we get to Jacob, and it's spreading out. It's becoming larger. But it's supposed to be 12. Because 12 is the number of completion. But I think if you take... The one person, Joseph, and divide them into two, then that doesn't make twelve anymore, does it? Makes thirteen. I'm not real good with math, but I can figure that one out. I believe that this foreshadows the inclusion of the Gentiles into the one people of God. Of course, God will also pull out His Levites who won't have a inheritance in the land, those kind of things later on. But I believe this is really God expanding his kingdom even beyond the scopes of the people of Israel. Picking up in verse 8. When Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, Who are these? Joseph said to his father, They are my sons, whom God has given to me. And he said... Bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel will dim with age, so that he could not see, and so Joseph brought them near him, and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face, and behold, God has let me see your offspring also. Then Joseph removed them from his knees and bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Joseph took both the took them both, Ephraim in his right hand. Toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand, toward Israel's right hand, and brought them near him. Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and the left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands. For Manasseh was the firstborn. Now, just so you know, the text makes it sound like these are just little kids, and sometimes you'll see that in art. These guys are like twenty years old, so they're they're young men. Maybe they're just standing next to Joseph, or Jacob's knees. But the boys are positioned according to their order of birth. Manasseh is the oldest, so he's at Jacob's right knee, and the right side is the side of preeminence, the side of strength. Ephraim is the younger, would then be near Jacob's left knee. But then Jacob surprises Joseph, and he crosses his arms, and he gives the greater blessing to the younger son. Not like Jacob and Esau where the blessing is completely given to Jacob and taken from Esau. Just the greater is given. But this is, once again, a demonstration of the freedom of God to choose how he wants to distribute his blessing. God is always in control of his covenant. We try to control God. God is in control of his covenant blessing. We're going to see in a moment how Joseph reacts to this. He's not going to be happy. Verses 15 and 16. And he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. I like that statement. Bless the boys. That's why I titled that. And in them, let my name be carried on in the name of my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. These verses are very important. They're somewhat mysterious, slippery to understand. But here's the point. Joseph is blessed when his children are blessed. As Jacob is blessing the boys, Joseph is receiving blessing. In the boys, Ephraim and Manasseh, Jacob's name is being carried on. God is being faithful to his promise of blessing to Jacob through the blessing of his boys. I know this goes contrary to our own individualistic thinking, but this is what's happening. And I think maybe the best way for us to understand this is to see our connection to Jesus Christ. The blessing belongs to Jesus Christ. He has earned it. It is His. He is the only Son of God. He's fully merited God's favor. In this way, I believe Joseph is a type of Christ. We are included in Jesus Christ by faith alone. His blessing becomes our blessing. You can see it flowing that way. We are blessed in the blessing of Christ. But I'm going to tell you, it doesn't just work one way. It is also true that Jesus is blessed as we are redeemed. He is blessed in us. That's why all of you clapped today when we talked about Rebecca. There's a blessing. Jesus is happy. It's like the fulfillment of all of His work as you are being saved. There's a connection between those two. I don't understand it all. But this is what it means to be in Christ. This idea that, that we are connected to our covenant head and, and we're blessed from him, but then he is blessed as we get blessing. That's what's going on here. There's a connection. How's Joseph going to respond to this? Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, and it displeased him, and he took his father's hand and moved to Ephraim's head. Move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, Not this way, my father, since this one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become people, and he also shall be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day, saying, By you, Israel, were pronounced blessings, saying, God, make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. Thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. Joseph wasn't happy. He was more than just a bit upset. Literally, it says it was evil in Joseph's eyes. Joseph understands the significance of his dad's actions. He knows that Ephraim is going to be greater than Manasseh. And he doesn't want it. He wants the greater blessing to go to Manasseh. And you and I sit back and say, Man, what a fool. You know, what what kind of dad would do this? Is this not what happens in Matthew when the mother of the sons of Zebedee says, Well, will you not put my children first in your kingdom, Jesus? We all want the greatest blessing to go to the people we love the most. We all want to control God's blessing. And Jacob is saying, It doesn't work that way. God is sovereign. In his, in his salvation. Learning to bow your will. To the will of God. Is the hardest thing you'll ever do. Learning to accept the position of a servant in God's kingdom. And if you want to be like your savior. These are the lessons that God must teach you in the covenant. As great as Joseph is. He must, too, learn submission. Jacob assures Joseph that Manasseh will be great, but he insists that Ephraim will be greater, and he will become a multitude of nations. And here is something that's really joyous. We'll have to go through a few verses, have to stretch your mind just a little bit, but I guarantee you, if you'll press on through this portion, you will see a beauty of the mercy of God that just baffles my mind. You see, what does it mean? You have to ask the question, what does it mean that that Ephraim will be greater than Manasseh? There will be more people with with Ephraim than with Manasseh. You think, okay. But I'm telling you, I have searched through the scriptures of the Old Testament. There is no clear fulfillment of this blessing in the history of Israel as a nation. At the time of the Exodus, Ephraim was larger than Manasseh. Forty thousand to thirty-two thousand, but not by much. At the end of the forty years of wilderness wanderings, the size of the two tribes was reversed. Manasseh was bigger than Ephraim. If you look at the size of the inheritance of their land, just look in the back of the Bible. You can see how they're all filled out. You know, and Manasseh's inheritance is way bigger than Ephraim's inheritance. When the nation splits into the northern and southern kingdoms, Ephraim is given more prominence. In fact, sometimes they refer to the whole 10 northern tribes simply as Ephraim. But here's the problem it's not greater, it's worse. Ephraim is in rebellion. Israel is in rebellion to God. They are, they are apostatizing. They are walking away from the faith. So you're like, what is this, this history of blessing on Ephraim? It looks like it's actually a curse. Israel's, Ephraim's history seems only to go from bad to worse. By the time you get to Isaiah, Ephraim is known for her stubbornness. And God will bring the nation of Assyria to conquer her. She is so stubborn. This is, in essence, like an excommunication. Kicks them out of the land. Your rebellion is so stubborn, I'm kicking you out. The entire book of Hosea, you know, with Hosea and Gomer and all this, it's all about Ephraim. And God's judgment upon Ephraim for her sin. And not only will he cast them out of the land, but he will scatter them across the world. And that happens with Assyria. They, Assyrians actually took their captives and just put them all over the empire in different places. And you would think at this moment that this blessing that Jacob gave to Joseph of Ephraim would be lost. You would think that it was meaningless. Meaningless. That it really didn't matter. Like, who cares? It's just pie in the sky, sentimental non- nonsense. Blessing to you guys. Listen to the words of Hosea. This is Hosea 11, 7 through 11. My people, Ephraim, my people are bent on turning away from me. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I hand you over, O Israel? And in this sense, Israel and Ephraim, same same meaning. How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? And you don't know those words, but those are kings of Sodom and Gomorrah. Those are the ones that said, God said, judgment, you're done. He said, how can I treat you, Ephraim, like I treated Sodom and Gomorrah? He says, my heart recoils within me. My compassion grows warm and tender. I will not execute my burning anger. I will not again destroy Ephraim for I am God and not a man the Holy One in your midst and I will not come in wrath they shall go after the Lord he will roar like a lion when he roars his children shall come trembling from the west they shall come trembling like birds from Egypt and like doves from the land of Assyria and I will return them to their homes declares the Lord Ephraim represents the prodigal son who has blown the blessing of God and the suffering under God's temporal wrath. He has frittered away life and blessing. But even when Ephraim was scattered to the four winds of the earth, there's still this, this heart of God saying, Oh, I'm grieving for my son and my compassion will work to bring her back to me. It's not by accident that prophet Zechariah speaks of the future blessing of the house of Joseph, including Ephraim. This is Zechariah 10, 6-9. I will strengthen the house of Judah. I will save the house of Joseph. I will bring them back because I have compassion on them. And they shall be as though I had not rejected them. Don't you love that? It's not I'll bring them back and they'll forever be like lower status. It'll be like they never left. I am the Lord their God. I will answer them. Then Ephraim shall become like a mighty warrior, and their hearts shall be glad as with wine. Their children shall see it and be glad, and their hearts shall rejoice in the Lord. I will whistle for them. I love it. Like you're whistling for a dog. Come on back. I'm ready for you guys now. Gather them in. For I have redeemed them, and they shall be as many as they were before though I scatter them among the nations, yet in the far countries they shall remember me, and with their children they shall live and return. But probably the greatest is in Jeremiah 31. We we quote it often as the promise of the new covenant, but we usually go to further down. We don't quote the initial verses of Jeremiah 31. At that time, declares the Lord, I will be god of all the clans of Israel not just some of them they shall be my people thus says the Lord the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness when Israel sought for rest the Lord appeared to him from far away I have loved you with an everlasting love therefore I have continued my faithfulness to you again I will build you and you shall be built O virgin Israel how can you call Israel a virgin clean Again you shall adorn yourself with tambourines and you shall go forth in the dance of the merrymakers. Again you shall plant vineyards on the mountains of Samaria. Think about the days of Christ and how the Samaritans were looked down upon because they were like, like lower class Israelites. The planters shall plant and they shall enjoy the fruit. For there shall be a day when the watchman will call in the hill country of Ephraim. Arise and let us go to Zion to the Lord our God. For thus says the Lord, Sing aloud with gladness for Jacob and raise shouts for the chief of the nations. Proclaim, give praise and say, O Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel. Behold, I will bring them from the north country and gather them from the farthest parts of the earth. Among them, the blind and the lame, the pregnant woman and her who is in labor, together with a great company, they shall return here. With weeping they shall come, with pleas for mercy. I will lead them back. I will make them walk by brooks of the water in a straight path in which they shall not stumble. And here it is For I am father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. Is Ephraim my dear son? Is he my darling child? For as often as I speak against him, I remember him still. Therefore, my heart yearns for him. I will surely have mercy on him, declares the Lord. I'm telling you that Ephraim represents the one who has blown it over and over and over again and seems that they have lost the grace of God completely. And God pulls them back to himself. Are you not thankful for Ephraim? It's not the sins that I have committed before I came to Christ that most trouble me. As terrible as those were. It's the struggle that I have today with my sin. I am prone to wander as I know many of you are. And the blessing of Ephraim gives me hope. The story of Ephraim helps me to understand grace. Grace is not God's leniency to just overlook sin like it doesn't matter to him. Who could ever say that thinking about Ephraim? He scattered them. The rebellion in our hearts must be put to death. That's what God's grace does. But God's grace is something that works after repeated failures. It is God restoring us to himself when we know our own hearts and that there is no good reason why he should do so. You see, the greatness of the blessing, the greatness of the Father's love, is greater than all of our sins. It is not the righteous who need a Savior. And so this applies to Rebecca. But it applies to every one of us. And I'm telling you, no matter where you are today, no matter how far you think you've fallen away from the grace of God, or your friends that you talk to, and they're wondering, there is no other place where you will find such amazing grace as in Jesus Christ. Cast yourself on Jesus. Surrender your heart to God, to Him, today. You have been loved with an everlasting love. Amen.